iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Good afternoon and welcome to today's Meet the Filmmaker event. Director Tony Gilroy and actor Clive Owen join us today to talk about their latest film, Duplicity. In the film, Clive Owen stars with Julia Roberts as spies turned corporate operatives who share a steamy past and hook up to pull off the ultimate con job on their respective bosses. Duplicity will release this Friday, March 20th, in theaters nationwide. Before we introduce today's special guests, please enjoy the film's trailer. wasn't an accident, was it? Being here, meeting like this. Can you imagine living like this? How much do you think you'd need? 20 million? I was thinking 40. So what do you have to do to get 40 million dollars? I took a job in counterintelligence for Burkitt and Randolph. You're about to make a move. Some new product, something big. The very existence of this product must be carefully protected. My God, he is gonna crush me. It's a total corporate death match. The competition will do anything to get their hands on this. Guess who they like for director of Intel operations. You on one side, me on the other, it's perfect. You know what I think? I think you like the idea. Now all we have to do is find that product. We get there first, we'll make a fortune. Bingo. I think I found a way in. Excuse me. What was it before I got here? Apple teeny. Well, that sounds good. No peeking. Who is this guy? We're not sure. You're unbelievable. It was an assignment. It was nothing. Well, you should see the pictures. Oh, jeez. Is that the one where they're on the desk? We don't have time for this. I mean, we're here trying to run a triple game with some very smart, very motivated players. Do you have any idea how far my ass was hanging out because of you? If I told you I loved you, would it make any difference? If you told me, if I believed you. This is way over your head. Over my head? We were supposed to be on the same side. <laughs> Are these hers? What is that? It's a thong. It was in your closet. That's not possible. Well, in that case, I'll put them back on. You're gaming me. Moderating today's special event is Donna Freakin from USA Today. At this time, please join me in welcoming Tony Gilroy and Clive Owen. Well, well. I know Julia Roberts keeps saying she's the luckiest girl in the world to work with Clive, but I think I am sitting up here. Haha. <laughs> Tony, let me ask you the first question. How did you get involved in this world of corporate espionage? Uh, I wrote uh, a lot of different spy movies or movies that mm -hmm. had to, um, you know, sort of some intelligence research on them. And um, 
I started noticing that all the people that were source people that I knew would sort of send me, you know, a lab, this is almost pre-email, send me a note and say, oh, I've moved address I'm at now at this company. Everybody was going private. Um, and I started to look into that and uh, was pretty sort of shocked to find out how huge it was, what a huge business it was. How did you develop? How long did it, did it take you to develop the script? Which I know you wrote about six or seven years ago. Yeah, about six or seven years ago, I, I was introduced to Steven Soderbergh, and, and Steven wanted to do a movie about spies, and I've been always toying with the idea of um, uh, a movie about spies that were in love, how two people who were professional liars and 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 and, and scout, you know, lives based on paranoia and mistrust could possibly fall in love. So the idea of taking that and putting that in the corporate espionage world and sort of making a you know, doing a fun, fun version of that. It was those conversations with Stephen where it started. Now, obviously, I'm sure everyone here has heard of Michael Clayton, which was an incredible Oscar-nominated movie last year. How did that influence uh, this film and enable you to, to make it or release it or cast it? Well, I don't think you could make it. Duplicity would be a pretty hard first film to, to get anybody to get behind. So, it, you know, I had, um, I had taken care of a movie star, you know? I mean, I made it through a movie, and, and, and I had a pretty good you know, uh, recommendation from, from Mr. Clooney, and we had a movie that worked, and, you know, uh, that makes life much simpler. I mean, it may, you can go and, you know, I mean, having a, an actor or a movie star hand you their reputation is sort of one of the, you know, I'll trust you to make a movie is a pretty enormous act of faith. So i sort of at least done it once. And how did Mr. Clooney hook you up with Clive Owen here? I've told the story. I want to hear him tell it. I've told yeah, it too many times. Why don't you tell us the story, actually? What's your side of it? Because my side is you were drunk, but... <laughs> Again? Exactly. Um, I went to um, a party halfway through the filming of Michael Clayton, and I, I didn't know this. He told me this afterwards, or somebody told me this afterwards, that at that party, George... And I hung out with Tony at the party for a while, and we talked, because Tony wrote the Bourne films, and I was in the first one, and we just sat down and talked and got on very well. And apparently at that party, George said to Tony, that's who you should get for duplicity. So um, I don't know how many months later, like... About bit three months later when we finished and it looked like they might give me a chance to do another one, I sent him the script right away. And so you read the script and what happens? I go crazy for the script. I have a huge appetite for the script. The script was one of the best things I'd read. I was going through a phase where I was turning everything down and couldn't find anything I wanted to do. And then this sort of gem landed and uh, I literally finished the last page called the agent and said this is the one this is fantastic was it the dialogue it, the whole script I mean the script was fantastic the dialogue was to die for and it was it was a rare gem it really was and what made you say I can do Ray I can be Ray I don't know I mean um, I'm very instinctive when I read scripts and dialogue is important to me if it's got really good dialogue then I, I'm always you know pretty keen because it's it's rare to find great dialogue but um, I'm very instinctive. That first read of a script is very sort of, it's, a, it's very, it informs almost the entire process from then on. I'm very instinctive. So if I, if I respond like that, that was one of those that I just had this huge appetite. And as I read it, I just knew I wanted to get involved if I could. How soon do you know after reading something that this is something you absolutely have to do or you're, you're going to regret it? Um, no, with that, I literally grabbed, I, I grabbed the phone. I finished the last page and grabbed the phone and, and said, to said to my agent, this is the one, this is fantastic. And again, it was one of those rare scripts, and I haven't felt this very often in my career, that if for some reason in the trying to get the whole thing together, it had gone somewhere else, it would have hurt me, because I, I badly wanted to do it. How do you guys rehearse a movie that's so dialogue heavy, where the dialogue has to be so spot on and fast and sharp? 
That's really about us getting prepared. I mean, in some ways, it's easier than if there wasn't lots of great dialogue because at least you're equipped to go to work. You've got, it's just about us doing our work and making sure we're prepared when we go on set. I mean, we had a rehearsal period, but really that was just about sort of ironing small things out, making sure rhythms were right, making sure things played right, but you don't sort of overkill the scenes. And really then it's about Julia and I coming prepared and on top of that dialogue. Did you and Julia have an instant rapport after uh, your rather uh, not so happy scenes together and closer? Well, even though those scenes weren't so happy, there was still a very strong rapport. I mean, because they were very uncomfortable, you know, emotionally violent scenes, it still demanded that we played well together. And we discovered in that movie that we got on really well and we enjoyed working together. And it was a joy being able to do this with us. Tony, what was the experience like for you as this being your second movie? Was there more of a comfort level or did you feel more of a pressure? Uh, both. I mean, comfort, I had my whole crew back pretty much pretty much up and down the line for, um, for Michael Clayton. So, and I, you know, I'd gotten through, I knew what, but you also know what to be afraid of. So it's a little scary that this is a much bigger movie in many, many ways and a much more complicated thing to direct not only mechanically and logistically and whatever, but um, fun and, you know, and keeping things up is really, Michael Clayton was very, the one thing that was easy about it every day when we went, no matter where we went, the whole thing was about being uncomfortable. It was about making George Clooney uncomfortable every day. It was about making everybody else, you know, every scene is discomfort and cold and awful and everybody hates each other and nothing is happy. And that's easy to navigate towards every day. So, oh, that's what we're doing. This is very different. Because, like, you know, some days it's a souffle, sometimes it's running and jumping. It's very, a lot, much more advanced directing, yeah. And now, can you talk a little bit about the score, which really ties the film together in terms of the split screen and kind of the diverging, the, the non-linear timeline of the movie? Yeah, the score is just, the score for this movie is, I'm as proud of that as anything. I think James Newton Howard's score is just off the charts, special. I think, I think he thinks it's special. Um, we worked really gloriously and intensively on it. It was so much fun to do. Um, and with James, we work really, really close. My brother Johnny and I, and, and Nick Ratner, who's our uh, music uh, editor, and lots of trips to California, really worked on it. It's, it, it's impossible to imagine the movie without it. And it's a very difficult score to do, to, be, um, to catch all the same tones I'm talking about b before, but then at the same time to be thematic. And it's really, uh, for anybody who's really into movie music, I think it's a real master class. I think it's going to be, whatever happens with the movie, I think that for many years, people are going to be really digging into that score and are really, the people who are really connoisseurs are really going to be into it. Well, let's show a clip from it. This is way over your head. Over my head, lady. I've worked to Yemen, Athens, and Cairo. I've been promoted and decorated every place I served. Tell Duke to send someone else. Listen, I'm sure you know your way around a shoe store, but I did 12 years in the field. And how long have you been working for Equicron? Long enough. How long? Two weeks. Three whole weeks, like every day. Well, I've spent the last 14 months undercover inside Birkin and Randall. I'm an assistant director of counterintelligence. I am all the way in. So let's get this straight. I'm the asset here, you're a delivery boy. And the only thing I'm gonna give you is a message. Tell Duke I don't ever wanna see you again. I run field agents for a living. 
There's only two ways to do it. Either you bring them flowers or you hang them by their heels out of the window. Now, maybe you're so used to having your legs in the air you don't realize it, but you're upside down, sister. I own you. Well then. <laughs> now, obviously, these two have uh, crazy chemistry. Did you know immediately that this would, this would happen? or had, it's, so, it's such an elusive thing. How did you know it was going to work? You don't. I mean, you can't possibly know. I don't, there's no director who knows when he puts any two people together what's going to happen um, on the camera. And it's sort of a prayer. And you really almost, you can't even tell in the room. You sort of have to go back. You, it was about a, three weeks in, we'd shot a scene. There's a long scene in the Rome hotel room. It's sort of got everything. It's sort of a, a big, long scene. It's sort of a buffet of the entire relationship in a way. Almost all the colors of the relationship are in that one scene. And we shot it for a couple of days, and we had an off day. And my brother John, who's the editor, called me up and said, "You should come down and take a look at this." And I went down, and you, and he said, "You know, it's something's really happening here. You could start to see that it was, but it's it's an act of faith. I don't think any you, you cannot say let's do another take for chem. Can I have more chemistry on this one? You can't. It's that. What are you gonna do?" And now, Clive, I have to ask you, how tasty was all that movie champagne? What does movie champagne taste like? Like ginger ale. Really? Yeah. But you can't be ginger ale. It's not it has very to be. Nice. Is it like alcohol-free champagne? Yeah, completely, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, just curious. What was it like for you again working with Julia? It was really fantastic. I mean, as I say, we, we, we got on very well when we did Closer, and uh, I'm, I knew she was absolutely perfect for this kind of material, and it was just a joy working with someone that you like, you know, and you respect and you get on with. What was the vibe on set like? It was great, honestly. For me, it was, it was one of the best experiences I've had because... Um, because it was such a good script and you're surrounded by people you really trust and like, it just makes it a pleasure to go to work. And, and I'd say that in most movies, there's a couple of scenes that you really look forward to. You know, they're very well written or there's something about them that you think that's a really key scene. And in this movie, every scene that we play together was so well written that it was just a joy going to work every day. Was there anything particularly challenging about playing Ray for you or one specific part that you kind of had to work on more than something else? It was really just the, 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 the same thing Tony was talking about, the deafness and the lightness and, and making sure it's pitched in, in, in the right way. I mean, it is a very dialogue-heavy movie and some of the scenes, uh, you know, there's a lot of dialogue to get through and you had to be very prepared. You have to be nimble and quick-witted with it. It's not the kind of dialogue that you can labor for too long. And um, so really it was just about getting prepared properly. And now, Tony, do you ever see yourself directing a movie you haven't written? Uh, it's hard to see that now. I don't want to say I don't really, I don't, I mean, that's not what I'm going to try to do. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I re reserve the right to do that, but I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do the other thing first. Yeah. Is there something you're working on next or just a vacation? No, I don't have any, I really don't have any idea what I'm going to do next. I'm going to come back and try to start, you know, Go into the humbling room and see if <laughs> see how <laughs> humbled I get. Yeah, I'm gonna try to start. Do you read reviews? Oh, definitely, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I do. The, no, I love the honesty. A lot of people say no, they absolutely definitely. don't. So. No, I, I don't know. I may get to that point. But <laughs> <laughs> so far, I read them. Yeah. What about you, Clive? I read some of them. People point me towards the good ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I once got a pack of the first movie I worked on. I was really inexpensive. The, the movie came out, and this is the old pre-internet. And they send you a, a manila folder arrives, and it's got like 600 pages in it. And it's all the reviews, it's all the clippings from all the clipping service. And I open it up, and I start to go through it, and it's just, it's just terrible. It's one horrible review after another. And I'm flipping through, and it's just, it's just unceasingly bad. 
And I sort of stop, and I don't know, I go back and go back and look. It, about a half an hour later, I figure out they're in bundles of, you know, great, good, mediocre, and bad. And the bad, the bad ones were on top. But I had this, it was very unnerving. So, yeah. I would have um, skipped that pile. Bad yeah. reviews, yeah. Well, how important is box office to both of you guys? I mean, it means what you can do next. It means you get to decide what you do next. I mean, it's just, that's the power, you know? I mean, you can make some, you know, it's just, it means you get to work again or you get to work on what you want to work on again or you can be more ambitious or you need to be more careful. I mean, it, yeah, it matters. And is there a topic that, that's kind of gestating in your mind that you want to tackle next or just, you're just kind of gonna see where inspiration takes you? I really don't know. I, I actually think it's a. I, I would. It would be kind of painful to have been working on something for, let's say, the last uh, six months, going into October or November, and have an idea that really didn't. F all of a sudden, there's this seismic shift in the world, and there's this seismic shift in the psychology of the audience, maybe. And I don't even think it's shaken out. I don't think anybody's going to really know exactly what's happened this year in a variety of ways, and, and what kind of stories. So it's actually by accident. It's a good time to sort of. I like to be in the audience for. A, a month or so when I come back and see a lot of stuff and try to be as absorbent as possible and open-minded and see what other people are doing and try to feel what's going on. It's, it's actually, I think it's, I'm it maybe fooling myself that it's a good thing. I don't know what I'm going to do next, but it's a, it seems like a good moment to not be trapped into something from before. And I have to ask you, this as a writer, what's your writing process like? Do you carve out like six hours a day that you write or just whenever inspiration strikes you? No, I used to be very, very regular. Um, my wife would now what? <laughs> yeah, 18, hours. 18 hours a day is what she wants. Like Joseph Conrad. No, at the end, I, I'm very bingy now. I used to be very regular. I, when I, I learned how to write while I was tending bar. So my day was very regular. I would write all day and I would go work all night and I would write all, it was very regular. Over time, over 20 years, I got much more in the, it's very hard to start. It's very hard, you know, to get it really rolling. Once it really, really starts rolling, then I don't want to stop. At the very end, I'm writing 18 hours a day. You want to be in that place. Um, I just talked to my brother when I got out of the car here, coming here. He just finished a script, and it's like romantic love. It's like you're, it really is. You, you, the, that whole final thing when you're really running is so exciting. Um, and so it, it's that kind of a process. I, the one thing I don't do ever is if it, if I really get on a roll, I used to like, you get on a hot streak and you get very confident and it's like, well, I'll come back tomorrow and man, I'm rolling. I can go do whatever I want to do right now. It's such a great day. If it's really hot and it's really rolling, I really double down now. I really try to hang in and that's, that really is a good time to say, wow, maybe I won't change my plans and I'll really go at it because it's really happening now. But that happens so rarely. <laughs> hey, I'm impressed you did two great movies in two years. So that's, that's a pretty big achievement. Well, directing is very different than writing. I mean, the directing is, you don't have to be on a roll to direct. Directing is not binging at all. It's exactly the opposite. It's just, it's super regularity. It's, it happens anyway. It happens whether you're sick. It happens if you're tired. It doesn't matter. It happens. Writing is much more, uh, in many ways, more difficult. Now, Clive, do you ever see yourself directing? I do sometimes think about it, yeah. But um, to be honest with you, the rhythm of acting and directing is so different. It's like, you know, 
you know, I do movies and the director and go off and do two other movies and come back and the director's still in that tunnel. Of the, do you know what I mean? The, the rhythm is so different. And I've, I haven't found anything that I'm passionate enough to stop the whole acting train and, and begin um, I'm directing. But I do think about it sometimes. I'm sure you'd be a tyrant on set. You know, with... Uh, I'll be terrible. <laughs> what are you doing next? I've no idea. Take I'm in the same off? boat. Yeah, I'm literally um, I'm reading scripts and trying to find something at the moment. What about stage? Again, I think about it, but um, I've, I, there's no play. Uh, I've been offered a few plays recently, but nothing that I've been particularly passionate about. Well, cool. Let's open it up to the audience. Did everybody hear that question? D uh, are there any other directors that you want that you want to work with that you haven't worked with yet? Um, I mean, the great thing about movies is that there's a world of brilliant directors out there, all incredibly different and incredibly talented. I mean, if I had to pull a name out, I was one of the many millions who was a huge fan of There Will Be Blood and think that Paul Thomas Anderson's pretty rare, unique talent. No, that was written, um, you know, my process really is, there's a, it's sort of a, it's kind of a three-stage uh, process. One is that I, I spend a huge amount of time accumulating stuff and being really sloppy and just anything goes and, oh, here's a scene here. And I mean, I couldn't even, Clayton was such a, such a meandering process. I made such a mess and it went in so many different directions. And I really, I accumulate hundreds of pages, a lot of it's dialogue, and here's a scene here, and it could be about this, and, and I'm really making a mess, a really big mess. At a certain point, uh, fear and anxiety or just it, the ripening, whatever it is, at some point, time's up, and I've got to take this whole thing, and I've probably figured out what's interesting to me about it, and I probably have a pretty good shape of it. And then I make a document that's another mess. It's free to be very sloppy. And I try to write the movie as quickly as I can in an outline form. 60 pages, 40 pages, 80 pages. They're very, again, very, very dialogue rich. But in that phase, I'm writing the movie. At that point, I probably figured out that this was how I was going to tell that story. And once I go to the draft, that, was, that wasn't something we did later on or whatever. It's hard to say where it begins and ends, but um, I get... Like at the very end, when I finally write Fade In and I'm actually writing what looks like a screenplay page, at that point, I'm all about being pretty and it's really like chiseling and trying to make it beautiful. I've, I've, I've been sloppy and messy for months before that. And I just wanted to ask you, how much research did you do into that specific part of the corporate world, which I guess would be the equivalent of Procter & Gamble in... You said that, I didn't say that. I'm, I said it, I didn't totally, say that. just for the record, but that type of kind of uh, skincare company. Um... You know, there's a great deal of, there was a lot of open source. As the, 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 the corporate espionage, uh, if you Google it, the, the, the professionals call themselves, it's competitive intelligence is the way the, um, that industry describes itself. And they have uh, conventions and trade organizations. They do. They have a whole, you know, newsletters and, you know, their whole, 
And you know, if you sit next to somebody on the plane and you say, what do you do? And oh, I'm in competitive intelligence. That's the business theory. You can find out a great deal about that online. There's a lot of anecdotal stuff. Um, I talked to a couple people you know, along the way, but it's really um, as wild as stuff is in the movie. Everything in this movie has happened or is happening. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think this film in particular deals with that, you know, that side of it, the, the sort of double dealing. The, the movie really is about two people who are brilliant, brilliant liars. That's what the film is at its heart. And it's, a, you know, they fall for each other and they struggle with that because that opens them up and makes them vulnerable. And they're used to being <laughs> ruthless, cynical and, and brilliant liars. And um, but yeah, I mean, this um, in terms of the research for this one, I felt that Tony had written it all out there really it was very clear it was very much one of those scripts that you 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 play the thing it was like a play you play the material it was i didn't feel the need to have to go off and find out more about corporate espionage what do you think made ray tick sorry what do you think made ray tick um i think he's um i think in the m at the beginning of the movie he's he's the best at what he does or he thinks he is until he meets her you know and the, what makes him tick is that he's top dog and always has been you know he's brilliant at what he does and he's respected and you know thinks that um he has a great life because of that and suddenly he meets his match and the whole movie for him is coming to terms with that really yes were there any funny or embarrassing moments on the set absolutely none Nothing funny, nothing embarrassed. Everybody was completely elegant every day, well behaved. Um, tea in the afternoon. And, and no, every, no, it was a very, uh, um, it wasn't, I don't know. I mean, there's none of the, it wasn't a George Clooney set, you know, it wasn't like the goofy fooling around. I don't know. I mean, it was a very, uh, we had a lot of work to do every day. This was a very busy movie to make. Um, it was a lot of moving around, and, and there was just enough money to do it, but we, it was not a big, wasteful show. So, no. Clive, no anecdotes? No, I mean... No um, whoopee cushions or anything? No, I suppose the steamier the scenes got between Julia and I, the funnier we found them, and the more patient Tony had to be, but apart from that... Yeah, it must be hard to keep a straight face when you guys are friends from another movie, and you have to play passion. Exactly. We coped. <laughs> can, uh, can you t talk a little bit about how you prepare yourself for roles, especially this one? Um, I'm very, very instinctive. Really, I, I trained in the theater, and for me, it's about getting as comfortable and familiar with the text as possible. I'm not one of those actors who likes to free will. I don't think I'm a great improviser. I'm much more about getting great text in front of me and then reading it a thousand times, getting really familiar with it so that when you do it, you can, you're so on top of it, you can make it seem uh, alive. That's kind of anything more than that. I don't like to think about it too much. I don't know what it is I do, but I, I do prepare and I don't like to be thrown things. I'm not one of those actors who likes to be thrown things on the day or given a whole you know, new thing to do. I like, 
I think that that sort of gestation period, even if it's a very small economical scene, is hugely important to just sit and think and think and j tiny things happen. I don't know what they are, but to sit with something for a while, I think, is, is very important. Well, it is to me. Is this, is this the direction that you hoped your career would take? It's beyond anything I could have imagined, really. I mean, uh, you know, for, for me, success is, is measured by getting the opportunities to work with the best people. That's what it's always been about for me. And the opportunities I've been given in the last few years and the people I've worked with, both, you know, directors, writers, actors, actresses, has been beyond anything I could have hoped for. Studios with Tom t with Tom oh. Tukware and Tony. Is that what? Yes. Okay, so talk about contrast the experience. Um, well, they were they were obviously very very different movies. Um, I, I and I rate both Tony and Tom super highly. I had great experiences on both of them, and um, yeah, I mean, um, it's very hard to put one film up against another because they're completely different animals. And and um, but I certainly had you know a really great time on both. It's a bit of a coincidence that the two fall back to back. When I finished Clayton, this was the best thing that I had sitting there. I knew it was sitting on the shelf and had been sitting there for about six years on and off in Hollywood. And I thought, well, it's very different than Clayton. So the, the um, you know, it just seemed like a good next thing. I wasn't really thinking until we started scouting locations and we were back in all the same elevators. And I thought, oh my God, this is really. But if you think about it, I mean, you're always looking, if you're, if you're a dramatist or you're writing a story, you're looking for ecosystems. You're looking for things, where's the society? What's a, where's, where can I go? I mean, you could base an entire career on writing about those societies. When you think about them, they're, you know, they're basically like feudal kingdoms in a way. They're no different than nation states. There's a leader, there's a, there's a court. There's protocol, there's uh, a whole system of manners, there's serfs, there's an army, there's everything but moats. And, you know, I mean, they're very, they're like feudal kingdoms. And, and any kind of intense uh, group of people that's organized in a way is dramatic fodder. It's, um, you know, they also, the other benefit dramatically is that there's a, there's a, a very big disconnect um, between what's public and what's private. And that also makes attention. And there's rivalry with, you know, it's, it's basically, this movie is very much like a Cold War movie in a way, with two nation states that happen to be across Park Avenue from one another instead of staring across, uh, you know, uh, an ocean. Um, and it's very much designed that. In some ways, it's the most classic spy movie I've ever done. I mean, it really, if you, if you, if you, if you look at all the tradecraft and everything that happens, it is very much a classic, if you, absent the humor and the love and the tone of it, it's very much a classic, you know, spy movie. I would love, 
I would really love to know what John le Carre thought of this movie. It would really, I would really, uh, that would that would either please or freak me out no end. I would have no idea if you like, but but all the it's it's not that dissimilar, and it's a it's a great environment for for narrative. And now I have to ask you, Paul Giamatti said that in real life Tom Wilkinson would kill him because he has a new hip and he plays golf. But how did you choreograph that fight scene between them? Well, we did. We choreographed. I mean, it's um, we put a lot of work into that. We 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 started months and months in advance, and we camera tested, and we, you know, we took stunt guys out of Floyd Bennett Field, and we figured out how, what the right distance was, and we figured out that 75 frames per second was not funny, and 150 frames per second was hilarious, and you know, and it's like, and then we videotaped the guys, and stunt men, and different things, and took it back to the editing room, and my brother cut it together, and we winnowed down the shots that we needed and stuff we didn't need it and really worked it all out. I mean, there's a version of it on video that's probably very similar to what the final, and then rehearsed the two entourages so that those people all felt like actors, so they didn't feel like extras, so they really had an identity and made them really feel like they were involved and try to get them invested in a performance. And then we brought Tom and Paul in for four or five days in a dance studio down the street and, um, you know, and rehearsed it. I think they'll probably, there'll be a great deal of pressure to make a fourth Bourne movie, yeah. I mean, there's only one person that will make that decision. I mean, if Matt Damon wants to do it, I'm sure that General Electric will make that film. I don't, I don't have to worry about that. I've had to worry about that a lot before. I don't have to worry about that at all. Um, uh, so that's not, it's really not my problem. Well, yeah, hasn't Matt Damon said that it's going to be him looking for his car keys or something? So... Um. How do you prepare yourself for, how do you build your characters? Um, I'm pretty instinctive, really. I treat it like, you know, I, I trained for three years. I went to drama school and I treat scripts like I would treat a play. It's, it's just about, for me, it's, it's, it's always about the, the material more than it is anything outside of that. I'm very sort of honed in on what it is that you're trying to execute rather than going out there and, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that, I, I think, any, any approach, any method is valid if at the end of the day you believe people in movies. That for, I don't, I'm not that, you know, I have my own way of doing it and I've seen other people who go off and immerse themselves in worlds for six months. The bottom line is when you watch the movie, do you believe them? And if you believe them, it doesn't matter how you get there. And I, but I'm very much material-led. I'm very much about understanding what needs to be executed and, and, and trying to do it well. Conversely, do you also instinctively know when you read something and it's just not a fit and it doesn't work and very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of bad scripts out there, I have to say. On proof of life, uh, it's I guess what's interesting about your question is I have never, ever, ever in like all this time and all the all the years and all the scripts, I've never done a true life story. I've I've been offered obviously there's thousands of them out there. I've never taken one. I find the whole idea of doing a real life story really creepy to me. It freaks me out on a whole bunch of different levels that there's and when we 
on Proof of Life, there was a magazine article that Bill Prochnow wrote for Vanity Fair. And it was a, it used the story of a couple, a kidnapping uh, in, in Colombia, and it used their story as a jumping off point to deal with the whole industry. We had a long series of conversations, intense conversations with the family um, to try to convince them, Taylor and Hackford and I, because I refused to do the real story. What was interesting about it was that their story was uh, a kidnapping that had screwed up and what was screwed up. But I, it was very important to me, it was crucial to me that we could that we could make a fictional story on the material and not be beholden to them. And we spent a long time in Germany trying to convince them that they would be very, very unhappy with the, with the, with the producers who would come along and try to make the real story, that they would ultimately not like it and that our film would be a much better film about the topic because we were free to do that. That's my own personal bent. There are many films that are great that I even like that are about real subjects and biographical films. It's just something that freaks me out and it's, it's, I just, I don't ever want to be clutched up by the real person or responsibility or, you know, not being able to play God, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, sorry. Uh, I say about the length of movies, two hours. I, I get, look, I mean, there's a lot of great movies that are over two hours. I mean, I was being a little glib in that article, you know. I mean, the guy's asking for, you know, sort of, I mean, and that really is in general what you're shooting for, you know, keep it under two hours and don't bore people, I think is what I said. I mean, that's, um, if you're going over two hours, you better really have something to say, you know. I've, there's plenty of movies, and we all know, you know, you've all sat through them where you go, please. You know, and there's movies please. that go by that are, you know, that are three hours that just fly by. Um, I, I really, it's a case by case basis, but um, if you can say it faster, it's better, I think. How did uh, you and Robert Elswood uh, approach this film differently visually compared to uh, Michael Clayton, which was a lot more full, and I feel like this was a lot more because of the tone and the light pace and faster pace of the dialogue? Uh, we just, a couple things. I mean, it was going to be much more, it was going to be pretty people looking good, you know? I mean, there's a lot more vanity in this. I mean, we approach it. Michael Clayton, we never, we never cared what anybody looked like. It wasn't important at all. We never had any, any of that. We also didn't move the camera. Michael Clayton was very formal, very, very much locked off, really into like stillness and rawness. There's very little camera movement in it. We knew we were going to move the camera a lot more. We were going to be a lot more adventurous with that. We brought a dolly grip. We brought Robert's dolly grip in from Los Angeles for here to New York, which is a controversial and difficult thing to do. Um, uh, we, you know, we, we also could, we also had built up such a system of trust and communication between us on the first one. We decided we could have more fun and experiment a little bit more. We had a little bit more freedom to experiment and do things. And there's things that we tried that we decided we didn't like, and there's things that we we just hugged and and went for. The um, uh, we did sh we sh we shot anamorphically, the same thing as we had done before. So we were comfortable with the format. We both liked the same kind of uh, framing, and you know. And I know Robert's going to bring a negative in that's going to be a really juicy, big negative for me. Um, um, just more, you know, more movement, more fun, more color, more adventure.
green sleeves. Green fingers, here you go. Did I enjoy making that movie? Yeah, it feels like it was a long time ago now, yeah. Um, Gr Green Fingers, she's talking about a movie I did called um, Green Fingers. Um, yeah, I did, I had a very good time. That was, um, I think that guy had done one film before and no, I had a very good time. And final question? Is there someone you consider your mentor that's helped you along the way? Um, no, not really. I mean, I've had some pretty key influences, a pretty extraordinary thing and a very lucky break. I've had a series of breaks in my career that, you know, have led to where I am, I think. And one of them very early on is when I first got the acting bug, I did a school play and, uh, and got very passionate about acting. And the local theatre in my hometown had a, a little youth theatre for the local kids to go and do plays. And I, d I joined and got totally obsessed and all my schoolwork sort of went out the window and all I wanted to do was theatre. And the guy who was running that theatre at that time now runs the Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh <laughs> a guy called Michael Boyd. And, you know, I didn't realise, obviously, at that time that that was the kind of influence I was getting as this young kid who was just crazy about plays. And, um, and I, I worked with him a lot. I did a whole number of plays with him. And he's actually the guy that helped me with my, my speeches to get into the Royal Academy. So um, that was a very fortunate thing. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Clive Owen and Tony thank Gilroy. You. Thanks. Thank you. We want to thank Clive, Tony, and Donna for coming out today. Duplicity opens in theaters nationwide this Friday. Go see it. And visit our website, apple.com soho, for a complete schedule of upcoming events. Thank you. <laughs>